0: All bad things. Tragedy.
1: Tragedies, disasters. And that's bad things.
0: Trigger warning for everything possible.
1: What?
0: Hello. <laughs> I'm Rachel.
1: And I'm David.
0: And is all bad things
1: yeah it surprised me just a wee bit so
0: that's all I've got anymore yeah yeah you gonna welcome our audience
1: welcome everybody <laughs> welcome
0: follow us into Twitter Facebook at all bad email us all at gmail.com join our Facebook discussion group and our discord
1: do all of those things'm
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to um remember to get her our uh, holiday gift exchange. Okay. Up and running. I'm aiming for October, everybody. So yeah, October is right around the corner. It is.
1: No, I mean, why it don't is. you just give yourself something else to do?
0: I know. It's not enough. <laughs> it's not enough, really. So, yeah. Yeah. I hope that. Um, what you drinking?
1: I am drinking a gorgeous from uh, Noda, which is out of Charlotte? Yeah, mm-hmm. Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And it is... A top three pumpkin beer it's a to, pumpkin. to uh, I think, I believe both of us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might be my favorite pumpkin beer. Yeah. I think I mentioned that last mm-hmm. time. I am drinking something different. <clears throat> um, this is from Gizmo Brewery or Brew Works? Gizmo Brew Works, which is in Raleigh and we've never been.
1: Yeah, I forget that they're in Raleigh.
0: And this is the Gizmo Goes Wild Strawberry uh-huh. Ghost, And I haven't tasted it yet. So live okay. reaction.
1: Here we go and it's a thumbs up or a thumbs down It's okay
0: it's, it's not a, that sour it's an even it's not that sour for a ghost it definitely tastes like strawberry
1: oh yeah eh
0: mm-hmm. oh yeah
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> not bad i haven't had much of their stuff
1: no i haven't either i don't even know
0: where they are i have to google them and try them out at I'm some telling point. telling you
1: like i said i forget that they're even local i
0: know yeah um <laughs> so,
1: so now that we've gone through a uh, local beer corner. Yeah.
0: Did you see, I meant to ask you this, did you see the disaster I shared on our Facebook discussion group page? So, um, <laughs> um spoiler alert, I read an entire book about the challenge oh, this okay. week. Oh, okay. You so, told me about it. Right. No, no, no. Not that. It's not that. It's a secondary disaster I learned about oh. while reading it. Uh-huh. So... The December before the Challenger, so the month before, right? The the Challenger disaster. Krista McAuliffe went home to uh she she was from Concord, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. um and she went home for some time around the holidays. Now usually around that that close to launch because the the launch got pushed, right? So it was actually meant to be earlier in January. It was closer to the end of January. Um, the astronauts are supposed to be like. Staying together and quarantining basically, mm-hmm. but they let her. I mean, she was an exception to a lot of things, right? In, in that mission and the whole. Well, we will get to that. Trust me when we cover it. I think it's going to be at least a four parter, in my opinion. Okay. I think it might be our like seminal our disaster. Opus. Well, it's our generation's disaster, right? Pretty you much. know? That nine eleven, but nine eleven, we're not going to cover. So, no. um, so. Uh, she she and her husband and I, maybe her kids I forget. Anyway, her family went to Foxborough to see the Patriots play. They actually made it to the Super Bowl that year.
1: Okay, so they got that would beat have been by the Bears. By the Bears. Mm-hmm. That would have been the year of uh, Tony Eason, I believe, was the Patriots okay. quarterback.
0: Well, she was, and his
1: son is now playing in the NFL. <laughs>
0: okay, makes it even better. Yes. So, um, she was so. Famous at this point that one of the players and I forget who it was in the book that they mentioned, I will mention it at some point, like in, in the research or whatever, uh, asked her for her autograph because he oh, was wow. like, you're more famous than yeah, I am. At you're this more famous. <laughs> yeah.
1: At that point. <laughs> Most people were famous, famous, more famous than any New England Patriots player. Right. Because <laughs> up until 1985, which was the first year they made a Super Bowl, mm-hmm. nobody remembers it because mm-hmm. they were literally like the sacrificial lamb to the 85 Bears. Yep.
0: The author of this book was like, Tom Brady was only eight at this yeah, point. So he was so not on the team. <laughs> yes.
1: Tom Brady is three months younger than me.
0: Yep. So <laughs> but anyway. I've had, but
1: I've had a better career. <laughs>
0: You married a prettier woman.
1: I want to say... Yes, I did.
0: <laughs> We're both bullshitting ourselves. Uh,
1: no. Um, I also want to say that to get to the Super Bowl that year, because I believe that was the first time ever that a wild card team had made the Super Bowl. Oh, really? And I believe they beat the Dolphins in the NFC Championship.
0: They the Dolphins, apparently, in that... Because uh, the author mentioned that as well. Oh, okay. Um... In fact, the launch at one point was supposed to be on Super Bowl Sunday. Can you imagine oh if God. that shit had happened before? Because
1: they would have done it before the Super It would have Super been Bowl. like two
0: hours before the Super Bowl. Or they
1: would have done it at halftime. It would have been one or the Jesus other. Jesus Christ. What would have been worse? Halftime would have been worse.
0: They would have canceled it. Or they would have postponed the Super how Bowl. Could you, yeah, exactly. How the Super could you... Yeah, exactly. How could you play
1: a game after you that? You can't.
0: You cannot. You can't. More
1: less, It would have been worse. Like, how can you finish a game after that? Like, you still have no, another you, two quarters you would not.
0: You wouldn't. That's like, why I'm
1: saying it would make it worse. I think
0: all the players would have just said no, we're not doing it.
1: Period. Yeah. Can you fucking imagine if that had happened? I know. Holy but Christ. the other irony is I mean it literally only have like not, a week before The, the Super irony Bowl. is
0: it may not have happened at all if it had happened if it had the launch had happened on that Sunday because the cold weather was a big part True. of it which happened on Tuesday. Anyway.
1: <laughs> we'll get into that. We will. There's Someday. so
0: much to get into. <laughs> oh, that's my the goodness.
1: only that's the only it's a shuttled- huge one. Uh, that's the only NASA disaster we haven't covered, I believe. I think we've done everything of, else. Of deaths, mm-hmm. yeah,
0: because we did, we uh, did Columbia, Apollo one and we did Paul one, yep, mm-hmm. and
1: we did Columbia. But wasn't there another one? Maybe not. We, we did no, Apollo we...
0: thirteen, but that was a miracle stone.
1: I'm thinking of the Russian one. Mm-hmm. The only people to actually die. Yes, in space. there
0: are other um... space yes. tragedies. Yes, just the, these are the U.S. ones. Anyway, the disaster, right? So we're just.
1: Putting off Patriots, about no you're gonna
0: love this the Patriots fans were so excited about their Patriots having won and made it in like it was their last it may have been either the playoffs or their end of season game I forget which anyway they uprooted the uprights yeah go yeah yeah and carried it out of the stadium it hit power lines and shocked the
1: people <laughs> holding it sent them to the hospital
0: I don't believe anybody died. I that's don't good. think. But it electrocuted people.
1: Yeah, literally, uh, post-9-11, and I'm not even joking about this, like, tearing down the goalposts was seen as, like, an act of terrorism. Yeah! So that's, so that's why you don't see it anymore. That's
0: why I'm like, but it, it, what? there was they get access to the fucking there was, there was
1: a time when it happened somewhat often, like, it wasn't a rare event.
0: You know, it's weird to, like, it's hard to remember a pre-9-11 world where just anything is seen as an act of aggression, mm-hmm. you know, so...
1: Yeah, if you tried to tear down the goalpost now, you'd literally get shot. (laughs) Like, like there would be security. Yeah, no two ways about it. There are
0: like sheriffs. They'd be they'd be happy to do it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so anyway, that was the very long-winded background to tell you that yeah, some Patriots doofuses uh, electrocuted themselves.
1: The uh, 1990 season, the first season the Bills ever went to the Super Bowl Mm -hmm. in their divisional playoff game, which I believe was also against Miami that year, um, they tore down the goalposts. Hmm. And the next week, when they hosted the AFC Championship, they had the goalposts greased and security (laughs) dogs and cops underneath it. Yes. (laughs) So if anybody, like if you, like if you somehow got past like Uh the bloodthirsty dogs and cops. (laughs) Like, you would just slide down, like, you couldn't, like, they thought it like, it was, like, the ultimate fail-safe. <laughs>
0: like, yeah. But it just, did happen. Well, I would like wish a, that they would just let somebody try, just to see that. I've, It'd be, like, the Benny Hill theme. There thing. is
1: a video of the goalpost being torn down at the time, which was Rich Stadium. Okay. But it's, like, somebody, like, recorded <laughs> their videotaped game off the TV. So yeah. it's shit uh-huh. quality. I've yet to see, like, a good quality, mm. but... Yeah.
0: There wasn't that, really might have been, film
1: that might have been <laughs> one of, if not the last time that an NFL goalpost came down? Yeah,
0: that's I, I didn't realize they were A, so light,
1: mm-hmm. as, yeah, they're light as shit.
0: and and that they could be. I didn't, I mean,
1: as one piece, like it's kind of heavy, right. but it's
0: they're not it's, like solid metal, or no, anything.
1: no, well,
0: and that they're not like cemented in under the turf,
1: no, because. It would literally, it, needs to give. it would literally break off. I, like oh, it was. I gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Over time, not like instantly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway.
0: And that was.
1: <laughs> that was uprights corner. Mini
0: mini disaster corner. We
1: should have a podcast just about kickers. It <laughs> might be the no, it's it won't be. There's it no would anything. all
0: just be about the Bills kicker. Yes. From the,
1: you know which one I'm talking about. Yeah. I don't
0: remember his name. Scott Norwood. That one. Yeah. <coughs> Alright. So are we ready?
1: Thanks for the memories.
0: <laughs> are we ready for more asbestos? Let's see. And it's uh probably fitting that I have a tickle in my throat to talk about this, huh? Um, so last week, <clears throat> go back listening if you haven't, because lots of background was given. We talked about the different types of asbestos, the history of asbestos use, um, when it became used. A lot more and they started discovering it was bad for people and why it's bad for people right basically lodges in your lungs scar tissue forms and it's also carcinogenic so <clears throat> all right
1: so part two and it's in everything
0: in a lot of things mm-hmm yes jesse's in yes. here with us i'm sure everybody's just it's been a long time since mm-hmm. he's chimed in right jesse
1: He's got to get closer to the mic next time. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come here. Come here. Yeah. <laughs> he's been very talkative and chatty lately,
0: this yeah. one. Oh, yes. <clears throat> Sorry, it's on my iPad. You don't have a script to chew today. Mm-mm. You yeah, he's
1: like, he's like, there's supposed to be some paper for me to lay on <laughs> if you guys are doing this podcast thing.
0: So just to give a little reintro, so throughout the t- 19th and 20th centuries, the so-called magic mineral asbestos was used in countless consumer products from roofing to cigarette filters, remember that, to synthetic snow. Found to be undeniably toxic to the human body, asbestos exposure continues continues to cause thousands of deaths each year, with the overall global death toll over time incalculable, but quite possibly into the many millions. Asbestos is still produced in some parts of the world today, and an estimated 125 million people globally are currently being exposed to the magical mineral in the workplace every year. All right. So, at this point, the the medical field is starting to link asbestos with um, mesothelioma, especially right. Mm -hmm. And you still see those. You
1: still see those commercials on late night TV. Yes, uh huh. Like for class action suits for mesothelioma.
0: Because, like I said, everywhere in the U.S., they estimate between two and twelve thousand people a year still die from asbestos. Yeah, that's
1: fucking crazy. I
0: know. I don't think it's, and it's not slowing down either. Uh. So, <clears throat> so even as the medical community was beginning to link asbestos to deadly disease, the world continued to mine, process, and sell asbestos throughout the mid-20th century. Um, now, in a shock to absolutely no one, manufacturers and insurance companies became more and more privy to the fact that asbestos was harmful than the... the average person or what was what is what was i trying to say (laughs) i'm
1: not sure more
0: (laughs) was harmful anyway and they began coordinating a cover-up in the early 1930s a doctor at metlife metropolitan life insurance company named dr anthony lanza had researched asbestosis <clears throat> he found alarming rates of the disease in asbestos workers. I mean, it's called asbestosis, so yes, that makes sense, right? Um, instead of like raising the alarm bells, Dr. Lanza advised a doctor working at Johns Manville. Remember, that was the global leader in asbestos manufacturing mm-hmm. at the time. Told them, yeah. hey, Don't hang... So they were going to hang these workplace hazard posters about asbestos. This doctor from MetLife said, Eh, ixnay.
1: That's not going to be necessary.
0: (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah, don't do that.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, we don't... It's a... You know, we don't got to burn the books. We just remove them. mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and, And he cited legal concerns. So I guess for this doctor, it wasn't first do no harm. It's first cause no lawsuits. So... Manville did its own internal studies that also revealed alarming rates of asbestosis in their workforce. MetLife dissuaded government site inspections of a Manville plant to avoid revealing the harm being done there. This was like, this is a pretty gross um, insurance company and corporations like... In other
1: words, an insurance company. (sighs) Yeah,
0: a little bit. (laughs) A little bit and, in the... and this is and
1: this is when there's actually quite a bit of new regulation on insurance companies. We're talking about the 1930s,
0: so not quite yet. Remember, we talked about that it. That is in true. The... It didn't
1: kick in for a little bit.
0: Well, and it wasn't going to get really bad until like the 70s and 80s, yeah. and then <clears throat> yeah,
1: it was short-lived.
0: Yeah, um, but what I found really gross is the the lecture that I saw that kind of. Uh, uh, it was an insurance industry lecture um talking about like anticipating new new losses for insurance companies meaning like there are always things that catch insurance companies off guard right like new threats new things that can harm people and he talked about the the speaker talked about asbestos and he talked about it in terms of like losses and like has over a hundred billion dollars just to property and casualty, and just in the U.S. Um, and like how they didn't see it coming or whatever, that fucker didn't mention any of this shit. Like that they knew about it almost a hundred years ago and were covering it the fuck up. So that made me a little peeved. But anyway, so also um, easier
1: to cover shit up at this time because <coughs> there aren't computers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Everything's on paper.
0: A lot less record keeping, right? <laughs> yeah. Nobody's IP address can be no. <laughs> tracked. Yeah. In 1949, a company doctor at Manville discovered asbestosis in seven workers diagnosed by X-ray. And this 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 is a doctor. Remember, like a member of the medical perfection perfection profession.
1: That too. Who
0: took the Hippocratic <laughs> Oath? He
1: is a medical perfectionist. <laughs>
0: He he knew these workers had asbestosis, or, or a, yes, asbestosis, yes. He didn't tell the workers, one. He told management and told them to shut the fuck up about it. Mm. The doctor. I mean, I'm sure he didn't have to tell management to shut up about it. They were going to be like, yeah, are this shit. Yeah. But can you imagine, like, you're a doctor, you know somebody has a deadly disease, and, and then, you and don't then te- say a them word. Telling
1: their management instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's just I, that's it's literally
0: depraved.
1: It is, and it's contributing to somebody's death.
0: Yes. Yes, because they can't seek treatment, they can't make well, their like, own decisions. They
1: can maybe five years down the road, but they should know that information as soon as he does.
0: Yes, exactly. So Yes. And <laughs>
1: I'm guessing any time wasted on treating this is
0: and Time this, wasted. And this may have been way before. Oh, bless no, you, Jesse. Bless you.
1: That was the cat. It was Jesse. Oh, poor baby. <laughs> Did you? Get it you is. Kind of cold? It. This is like the first night in <clears throat> three or four months that we're getting into the 50s. So it is. It is pretty
0: cool. Did, the w- weather were you outside? No, he wasn't. <laughs> he knows better. He's a spoiled indoor boy. He
1: is. He is.
0: <laughs> that kind of... You can tell he's a little uh, spun yes, around by like, that. He's
1: like, what, what was that? He doesn't sneeze? sneeze very
0: often. Demetrius does.
1: But mm-hmm. anyway.
0: <laughs> Kitty sneeze.
1: <laughs> Cat corner, everybody. We know you love it. <laughs> yes.
0: Um, I, And I, this had to have been before HIPAA or whatever, but still, can you imagine if, like... You saw a doctor and they gave your test results to your management without (laughs) your consent. Like that's, that's all sorts of, I'm also wondering
1: like, like, weren't, weren't the people were like, where are my test results? Like what, you know, I mean, they obviously got, knew they got tested.
0: This still happens, but I'm sure it happened way more back in like the forties The people had this like. Okay, doctor, whatever you say. You That's know. True.
1: Well, yeah, but but even adaptation. so, you would think be like be like so about those tests.
0: He could have come out? He may have just lied to them. Had
1: to have. <coughs> I
0: didn't see yeah. any reference to that, but he could have. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, uh, that is just so sinister.
0: It, it it's very sinister. It is very sinister. Yeah. So, so we, the company. We know where that
1: doctor went. Um,
0: the company then did one better, and they made it a company policy oh, to hide this information. Of course.
1: They're like, you know what? That works out really well for us.
0: Let's codify let's,
1: it. <laughs> yeah, let's put that into our amendment.
0: Let's put it in <laughs> writing. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Later... When deposed in a legal proceeding, a Manville employee would recall company president Louis Brown responding to the question, quote, Mr. Brown, do you mean to tell me you would let them work until they dropped dead? End quote. A- <laughs> allegedly, <Fuck yeah.
1: laughs>
0: Brown replied, quote, yes, we save a lot of money that way.
1: Yeah, Like, Yeah.
0: Can you imagine, like, B- by the way, business, how dead inside?
1: By the way, business owners don't think any differently today. We, we are, The coronavirus proved that more than anything.
0: No, so, so I, would, I would I would, put that a little differently. I would say that executives don't feel any differently today. So, business owners, that varies. Because there are small business owners who would rather lose their business than uh, well, I see what their you mean. workers at risk. But, yeah,
1: I mean, like, like, this is how, yeah, this is not how i'm sure there are some I've, I've sold advertising for a while i've mm-hmm. talked to some wacky like local business people who yes who thought they were god
0: yes oh of course so oh there are plenty of those so too sure they
1: probably treated their employees like shit too i'm guessing mm-hmm. but for the most part we're talking about like corporate america that yeah the, corporate oh, america gonna, gonna, let's see i'm gonna <laughs> pay him as little as possible and they'll just one day drop dead Great. Like, there'll be another one in his place.
0: If corporate America could make a profit off of literally actively killing people, they would figure out a way to do it.
1: Yeah, they kind of already have. Yeah. Like, war. Yeah. Like, that's...
0: That's true. <laughs> that's, that's, You're not wrong.
1: That's, that's a <laughs> You're re- not wrong. It's a really good moneymaker.
0: It was capitalism all along.
1: It was.
0: Oh, goodness. That'll be our last... That'll be our last episode. Capitalism. capitalism. <laughs> oh, wait, but that's a giant fucking crime.
1: But when you... When you- when you see that our last episode is capitalism,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like you know the the curtain is dropping, like that—that's
0: the end. Yeah, yeah,
1: because that'll definitely be a multi-parter. But, It'd be like
0: a twenty-nine-parter.
1: <laughs> I would say three. But...
0: <laughs> Chernobyl was <is> four. <laughs> it was. <laughs> this is a bigger disaster it's than true, Chernobyl. But, it's, but this
1: is mostly going to be speculation <clears throat> based on things that have already happened. But anyway. Ah. But just know if you ever see that title on our podcast. We're like, done. The curtains are closed. Hello,
0: my baby. Hello, my.
1: <laughs> Hello, my ragtime. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, John's Manville and MetLife weren't the only conspirators, of course. In 1935, this shit goes so far back, the president of asbestos brake manufacturer, Ray Bestis, Manhattan, <laughs> it's in their fucking name, wrote to a company attorney, quote, the less said about asbestos, the better off we are. <laughs>
1: kind of like AIDS. Like, just don't mention it. Oh, my it. God. It'll go away.
0: Uh, an executive of another automotive company using asbestos, Bendix Corporation, wrote, quote, if you have enjoyed a good life while working with asbestos products, why not die from it? End quote. <laughs> <laughs> it, one, that's not logical. <laughs> yeah. Two, that's disgusting. And I'm
1: like... Yeah, cuz I'd rather go out another way. Mm-hmm. That's
0: <laughs> Oh my god. Obviously, since those are some of the most flagrant actions and statements known, so much more must have been happening below the surface, but
1: yeah, this is the these are the <clears throat> things that are just coming out in the open mm-hmm. and admitting.
0: But I am actually going to sort of wrap up that portion of the information because that is literally criminal and True crime podcasts can deal with that. I think Swindle did an episode on asbestos. Okay. Um, yeah. So long story short, companies were far more concerned about their bottom line than their workers or their customers. Tale as old as time. Song as old as rhyme. <laughs> Capitalism <laughs> sucks. <clears throat> so many people were involved in the mining and manufacturing of asbestos. So many of them that they had their own union, the asbestos workers union. Uh, It would be this union that inadvertently led to the linchpin that would not only definitively link asbestos exposure to deadly health health outcomes, but make that known to the world. That linchpin was a doctor named Irving Selikoff. Now, Between those earlier studies of asbestosis and the early 1960s, there was mounting evidence that asbestos was harmful and published evidence. It's just that it wasn't very well known to the workers or to the public. Clearly, insurance companies knew about it. Clearly, the manufacturing companies knew about it. But average people didn't so much. Studies began confirming a link between asbestos exposure and mesothelioma, including in the spouses and children of people working with asbestos, presumably because they could, would come home with asbestos dust on mm-hmm. them, right? Remember how dirty you got uh, working at your previous job when you worked with carbon? Oh, God, yeah.
1: It was so everywhere. imagine
0: that, except it's yeah, fucking it's deadly asbestos.
1: Who knows? The carbon could have been deadly. Well,
0: <laughs> let's hope not. Um, in fact, I hope Lee doesn't mind me sharing this. Lee had uh, messaged me after the, the first episode came out. He's like... I definitely worked with asbestos, sure, like of course it, he did. as a firefighter, yeah. like tearing down mm-hmm. walls, having to do stuff like that. And he said he always would like be very careful not to expose his clothing or himself to his family members when he came home because he was afraid that he could pass it on hmm. to them. So smart move. It is smart. It's also really sad because clearly he knew what was going yeah. on and did it anyway. And that that is that's. And that's what people like firefighters do—is they they risk their uh, lives, dangerous shit. Yeah, lots of dangerous shit job. to help people. Well, mm-hmm. not just for a job. But I feel like career, the, it is for a career. A, well, uh, to help people yes, too. You know, definitely. I don't feel like you become a firefighter if you're like a heartless asshole. No, I can't. You like... know, <laughs> that's what cops are for. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but um... <laughs> and and Think now we get a everyone... one-star review yes. from our
0: one cop listener. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Um, But this information was still pretty niche, being known in the occupational health and safety sector, but relatively little to the public at large. And that's where Dr. Selikov comes in. So Irving Selikov was a New Yorker born to immigrant Russian Jewish parents. He graduated college in 1941. And think about being a Jewish person in 1941 anywhere in the not, world.
1: Not a really good year.
0: Not not great. Not a
1: banner year for... A... It
0: was a highly traumatic <laughs> era for yeah. Jewish people, right?
1: Not that any year is a banner year. <laughs> just that, just <laughs> Fair that, enough. Just <laughs> that one in particular. That's yeah.
0: You know, I remember um, <clears throat> when I was like a teenager, I didn't know that... I, I knew about the Holocaust, right? Mm-hmm. But aside from... I thought literally discrimination against jewish people was like the holocaust and that was it
1: oh no oh my god i was so wrong i had it so wrong
0: and i think it was because i grew up in an area where there's uh, miami has a lot of uh, jewish people who live there right so it felt like well no it's perfectly normal for there to be jewish people around so like it's who would discriminate nobody's discriminating everything's fine of course little white girl thinks that um but i read the, there was a movie that came out with William H. Macy called Focus, about a and it was based on a book, and I read the book. And that's when I learned, I was like, holy shit, anti-Semitism was a thing and is a thing.
1: <laughs> forever.
0: Yes, just eternally.
1: And <laughs> will be forever. <clears throat>
0: it was about a guy who, when he put on his glasses, everybody thought he was Jewish and started discriminating against him. That's like a very facile description of the book sure. but anyway that's how i learned that jewish people were discriminated against outside of the holocaust and looking back on that i'm like i was so fucking ignorant
1: oh it was more naive yeah i guess well yeah, I, I a little bit but anyway i was a homeschooler yeah.
0: i wasn't being taught anything so <laughs> <sighs> all right so yeah,
1: I mean, neither were we in like regular school well like, not real well kind of at least Maybe. you were having
0: to go into school every day. I was not.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, again, pluses and minuses.
0: <laughs> you wonder why I have a hard time like submitting to authority now. Anyway, uh, Selikoff studied medicine in Scotland, and exactly how he became an MD is actually a little bit murky. So apparently the schools that he went to the medical schools he went to, were in the process of having their accreditation pulled by the American Medical Association. Like, around the time he was graduating from med school. But, probably not coincidentally, these schools that were having their accreditation pulled were known for admitting Jewish students when they, in general, had could maybe have a hard time getting into medical school because people were discriminating against them. So, uh, that's a, there's obviously something awful going on there. So not that he had an easy road to becoming a doctor, but he did become one. Um, so he was able to start practicing medicine. And by the 1950s, when he was in his forties, he opened a general medical practice in Patterson, New Jersey. And there, the local asbestos workers union, the, the, whatever, the group, the local, right? The, the local... The fellas. Yeah. They were like... The, "Hey, The can... local
1: 407. Yeah.
0: <laughs> they were like, can you be our doctor? Like, we, we want to pick a doctor that we all go to. Will you be our doctor? And he was like, sure. So he became the doctor for the local asbestos workers union. <laughs> and then he was like, holy shit, within a year, he kept diagnosing these people with mesothelioma, which, remember, is really rare outside of asbestos exposure. So he's like, wait, this thing that... Nobody hardly ever sees. I'm seeing it, but only in these guys. uh, like,
1: I'm seeing a pattern here.
0: Yes. And it's not
1: a very good one.
0: He was a smart guy. He saw the pattern and he was like, "Uh uh-oh. So given these patients all had an occupation in common, he drew his hypothesis that this proliferation of mesothelioma, proliferation of mesothelioma, this good. had something to do with asbestos. And Selikov did some digging. He found earlier published articles raising flags about the possible dangers of asbestos. He conducted his own research. By
1: doing some digging, like he had to go to a library.
0: Yeah. Oh, yes. This and was like, not a Google search. And look no at, Google scholar.
1: And look at like filing cards.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so it took him like five days. This thing's even been pre microfiche <laughs> I don't know. I don't know it, what it that It might was have been. There. Yeah. So it took him five days to like look into it. <laughs> no, I was going to say, like, five
0: months, you know. Oh,
1: well, you know, he's just, yeah. You know.
0: He had to write to the Journal of the American Medical Association requesting articles. He conducted his own research, including a study of asbestos workers in the Long Beach Naval Shipyard. Remember, shipyards
1: oh, were really tons bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they're constantly moving stuff around all the time coming from all over the place. And insulation
0: is super important, so there
1: is a lot of it. Yeah, Coming from all different parts of the world. Mm -hmm.
0: He began publishing his results of his studies, including a famous 1965 article directly correlating asbestos exposure to mesothelioma. And for better or worse, for him anyway, Dr. Selikov became the face of exposing the hazards of asbestos. asbestos. (laughs)
1: Asbestos.
0: His and her besties. As Asbestos. While he's considered a trailblazer today, like, and looked on very fondly for his contributions.
1: Let me guess. He wasn't well received at the, the time. Ab-
0: the asbestos industry like tried to smear Murder him. Murder him. Yeah. Well, hmm. Possibly. I don't know. But of course, as we know now, he was not wrong at all. And the bell he rang could not be unwrung because now the public knew about the dangers of asbestos. Sure. His work got published in the New York Times and that is when it became like big news. He was interviewed, like he became the guy known for exposing asbestos. So so at this point it becomes a lot harder to discuss the global fallout between a link the link between asbestos and disease because every country reacted in different ways on different timelines. So I freely admit that this is going to be relatively U.S.-based, especially from now on. So there's always a first in legal cases. And of course, there was a first for asbestos litigation. Now, to be clear, there had been legal action taken prior to Selikov, but Selikov really helped pave the way for for, um, uh, litigation. But prior to that... People did sue, but those cases were really hard to win because of a lack of published and known evidence, right? Like a jury wasn't going to be like, oh, I read that article in the Times, you know? <clears throat> um, Nellie Kershaw, of course, remember she was the the woman back in like the mm, 20s or 30s? Okay. She was like 33. She sued oh, yes, in right. England. It, yes. Yeah, she, Lancashire, I think she, she sued her... Or, tried to get money from her um, uh, her employer because her doctor called what she had asbestos poisoning, but insurance or uh, national insurance was like, that's not a thing. <laughs> and, and her employer was Doesn't like, exist. asbestos isn't poisonous. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, she had tried to get compensation from her employer, and that was 40 years before. Obviously, no success. Poor lady died. The US saw an early lawsuit too filed by Anna Priskowski against her employer, Johns Manville. So, Priskowski's attorney, Samuel Greenstone, had taken on a number of asbestos claims, but from what I could tell, none of them were successful. It was too early. Like the yeah. links were not being made. Maybe people were being paid off. Who the fuck knows, right?
1: All of the above. Yeah,
0: possibly. In the ni- in the nineteen thirties, I mean this is like fucking prohibition era. This is what was America but like a giant gangster paradise. Who knows? <laughs> Who's
1: running America?
0: <laughs> <laughs> What's that from?
1: It was uh what was that? It was a dollop podcast where they were ta- where they were talking about the uh the German bun camps in like the late nineteen thirties oh, in America. Yeah. Like a lot of them yeah. were in New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor New Jersey. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) The the German Bun Society. (laughs) Look look that up if you you want a crazy fucking history lesson. The dollop
0: was really great on that. Yeah. Just listen to the dollop in general. About how
1: fucking fascist America...
0: Oh,
1: God. We have fascist ties all over the place.
0: So in the 1930s, the Massachusetts Industrial Accidents Board settled several workers' comp claims surrounding asbestos. But besides a few settlements (laughs) here and there... There was very little hope before this raised awareness of asbestos of ever getting a fair shake. And that changed after Selikov's popularity in the 60s. So the change didn't only take place in public awareness, but in the legal system. So this I found really, this whole mechanism was interesting. So at this point, asbestos was fully legal and unregulated, at least like specifically, right? No more than any other industry. Within the U.S., so there weren't any criminal charges to be filed, per se. Not like, hey, you violated our regulation about making asbestos. Well, that wasn't a thing, right? Um, Now, I'm not knowledgeable enough about the law to know, like, if the cover-ups would have been considered criminal at that point, or if they had even been exposed at that point, whatever. Anyway, everything was going through civil court, specifically... um, through the tort system because sure. this is considered a civil tort mm-hmm. remember a tort is any like Tortious. wrongdoing mm-hmm. from, by, from one person to another or one entity to another or whatever any combination thereof and this <laughs> involves taking a very shallow dive into the very deep topic of United States tort law are you ready?
1: I am okay <laughs> I, I was there. just well I, <laughs> I thought you were just going to continue
0: <laughs> okay <laughs> So our U.S. tort law, like basically our whole legal system, stemmed from English law and was initially concerned with restoration in torts. So like if you uh, if you burn somebody's house down, you've got to build them a new house. Sort of an idea. Right. Restore them to their mm. original. Makes sense. Condition. Yeah. Right. Um, Either
1: financially or Right. Or here's your new house.
0: Right. So there was not much regard to negligence, fault, punitive damages, or pain and suffering.
1: Yeah. yeah. It was kind of just understood, I guess. Well, no, it's just degree. like,
0: well, I need to I need to get you back where you were before yeah. I fucked you over. Whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, U.S. common law evolved in the 19th century to introduce the idea of negligence. The idea that because you...
1: (laughs) Something that's a a topic on just about every episode we do.
0: (laughs) Yes, a lot of negligence. Um, But the bar for proving negligence was very high and kind of made it unrealistic to prove. Because, like, how do you prove somebody's intention, necessarily? The result is easier to prove than the Mm -hmm. the intent, right? So, when the Industrial Revolution in the turn of the 20th century came along... Workers' rights was a topic on the rise, and workers' compensation was introduced. Workers could now appeal to regulation versus, like, the legal system, and that was easier than proving their employer's negligence. And employers were actually pretty okay with it, too, because this regulation had a ceiling of a liability limit. So they're like, we may get sued, but it's capped. Mm -hmm. It's going to stop at X whatever amount. Um,
1: so we got we got some uh, <clears throat> we've got some room to play with a little bit.
0: Well, it's just we know what it's going to cost mm-hmm. us if something happens. Yeah. It's easier to plan on mm-hmm. when you know what your contingency is, right? But then the idea of um, of damages started coming up. Where was I?
1: Were... Uh, damages. There okay, there we go. Yep.
0: I just couldn't find it on this. Okay. <clears throat> so in other words, if people or especially companies knew that not only could they be held responsible for just like restoring somebody back to where they were prior to whatever the tort was, but that they could also be held responsible for additional money or damages, right? That could result in them being more risk avoided, right? Because if you know that like, well, if something goes wrong with this worker the worst case scenario is we have to pay out $100,000, for example, right? Sure. Then
1: like you're going
0: to... Companies, because capitalism will make the calculations and we'll be like, you know what? It's worth the mm-hmm. risk. It's worth risking a human life for the dollar. For 100 body, grand. Right? <clears throat> so the idea was... It'll, well, like, it'll
1: likely work out for us. Yeah.
0: The idea is, <clears throat> like, that's almost nothing <laughs> for any company so if you have this big question mark of, like, well, they could get that for, like, you have to pay their medical bills plus $2 billion, you know, then that starts making them be like, well, now we need to mitigate the risk to try and avoid it. <laughs> like,
1: now we need to exploit everyone.
0: Well, no, now we need to be careful. Yes. Now we need to be careful, now. right? And it's really shitty that that's what it takes, but it does take that in capitalism, because... Son of a bitch that it is. Um, So this resulted in codified changes to federal law affecting especially product liability and class action lawsuits adopted as an amendment to the federal rules of civil procedure in the United States in 1966. So specifically, the idea of strict liability was introduced. So that meant that the high standards of proving negligence weren't necessary To hold someone liable for harm caused by their product, so negligence, which is hard to prove that intent, was no longer like a problem to prove. It was no, by putting out this product, you are liable, and you, you are negligent if something goes wrong. Period. Like just by default, that's strict liability, right? Um, as one person in the insurance industry put it, quote. Legal innovations in the 1960s translated risk into liability, sure. end quote. So state law began changing to match federal law over the next decade or so. So here we are, mid-1960s, asbestos exposure is clearly linked to disease and death. There's a now a more compensation-friendly civil legal system beginning, beginning to develop in um, torts. And there are some conflicting reports as to who the first litigant in this new era of asbestos litigation was, but it appears that the first suit may have come from Texas in 1966. So an attorney named, and you will be able to tell this person is from Texas, Ward Stevenson.
1: Okay. He could be from Louisiana, too.
0: He could be from North Carolina. Or Florida. Frankly. Yeah. Yeah he's from the south not League. New York he's from the south he's, he's, from the south. he's Yeah, there's nobody from... named Ward Stevenson <laughs>
1: in the state of New in his York his
0: Stetson hat yeah and his cowboy boots
1: <laughs> he would be Ward Stevenson
0: <laughs> Vinny Stevens
1: <laughs> yeah
0: Vinny. yeah <laughs> whatever <laughs>
1: anyway. he'd, be he'd be Italian is what we're trying to say <laughs>
0: apparently so he was from Orange Texas and he represented a refinery worker named Claude Tomplate who had asbestosis they brought the suit as a product liability and personal injury case against multiple asbestos insulation manufacturing companies. So the, this is where product liability comes in, right? These asbestos manufacturers are manufacturing a product that is deadly that they are strictly liable for now. So, um, But they actually lost. They lost their case. So three years later, Stevenson represented Clarence Borrell, an insul- insulator union worker from Groves, Texas, who had been diagnosed with asbestosis and mesothelioma. Mm. Fortunately for Stevenson and Borrell, the new federal provisions surrounding strict liability had been adopted by the state in 1967 in Texas. So remember, they sued for Tom Plate back in 66. That was before Texas adopted strict liability. Now this is 1969, Texas has adopted it, so now they could proceed. They could now sue multiple asbestos manufacturers, and it did include Johns Manville of not only negligence and breach of warranty, but under the doctrine of strict liability, they didn't need to prove negligence to collect damages. Now, by the time the case reached the court in 1970, Clarence Borrell had already passed away, and his wife, Thelma, became the plaintiff in the case, Borel v. Fiberboard Paper Products Corporation. There was a bunch of manufacturers, that's just the one that was named in the case, The defense attorneys argued the harms of asbestos exposure weren't well known during the period Clarence had been exposed. Yeah, Yeah, not by the public, by the fucking manufacturers. But Stevenson used Selikoff's research to show that wasn't the case. The defense countered that it also meant Clarence himself should have known better. Basically, well, if this was broad knowledge, then not only should the company have known, the worker should have known Mm -hmm. and not put himself in danger. Yeah. Um, so the case concluded in 1971 and the jury did find Clarence guilty of contributory negligence. Guy's dead. Nothing's happening. Right. But the manufacturers were held strictly liable. <clears throat> the total damages awarded were just under eighty thousand dollars, which is around five hundred thirty six thousand today. But after attorneys' fees, sure um, adjustments, yes, because Thelma had settled she, in some maybe ways. Maybe
1: half of it. Well, maybe. so
0: she she walked away. You almost nailed it right on. She ended up receiving about thirty five thousand, or around two hundred thirty four thousand today. Yeah.
1: yeah. So a little less than half, actually.
0: And that was after about three years because of all yeah. the appeals, right? The appeals process sealed the precedent of asbestos companies being held strictly liable for asbestos exposure. It also resulted in a requirement of manufacturers to inform consumers of any existence and likelihood of reasonably foreseeable risk involved in using its product. I think, and I could be wrong, but I think an example of that is, you know, how people laugh about like... Why is there a tag on the hairdryer that says don't throw it in the bathtub or whatever?
1: It's because, yeah.
0: It, yeah, it's to warn consumers. Mm-hmm. It's, well, it's to, yeah, it's to, hey, it's to regulated.
1: At least we warned you.
0: Well, it, it's like we're required to warn you, so yep. we are. Mm-hmm.
1: Whatever you do with the hairdryer is up to you now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Just don't throw it in a bathtub. While you're in it. Here, come coming back from a break, let's hear Demetrius purr. Oh, sweet boy. Okay, now we're back for realsies. For realsies. (laughs) Go ahead.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) So, the Boral case became the proverbial tip of the iceberg. Regulation began to follow. So first comes litigation, then comes regulation, right? And not only in the U.S., the U.K. tightened up its regulation in 1969, but in the United States, the Clean Air Act of 1970 instituted under the presidency of one
1: Richard M. Nixon. That's
0: right. Who is not a crook? <laughs> <laughs> that was for your benefit, little visual gag. I don't know why people do that. Did he? Did he that's, give the peace sign? No, that was
1: his little trademark.
0: Ha, cha, yeah. cha. He kind of looks like a Marx brother or something. <laughs>
1: He looks like a like a little evil man, which is apparently a <laughs>
0: little evil man. This
1: is apparently what he was.
0: Was he little though? Most presidents are quite tall. I
1: think he was like my height, maybe. So I'd be hmm. calling myself little, which I'm not. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm just not tall.
0: <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we're both average in that respect. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Right so uh the Cleaner Act of 1970 became the first legislation to directly astre- address asbestos as an air pollutant, which it is. it is. It is also that, right? It's not just bad for humans; Mm-mm. it's bad for the earth too. 1970 also saw the creation of an import of important regulatory agencies again under Nixon, uh, like OSHA, the oh. Occupational Sal- Sa- Safety and Health Administration. Yeah, that one, and the EPA, the Environmental say, Protection the Agency. As well. yeah. Which would yeah, come he to ca- be-
1: he caved to the uh, protest groups?
0: Huh? You ma- mean like he ma- listened I, to popular well, opinion? I mean,
1: he didn't didn't necessarily agree with what what they wanted, but he was like, well, if I we can get some votes
0: mm-hmm.
1: here, I'll give them what they want.
0: So he was no dummy until he was an absolute dummy.
1: He was no dummy until he got caught.
0: Yeah, that's, that's it. But, but it was the only difference between a dummy and a not a dummy is if you get caught. Yeah. But
1: it was such a. I mean, it was literally like one of the greatest crime stories ever. How he, because this started out as a burglary right. of a, of a hotel. Mm-hmm. What does that have to do with Richard Nixon? Right. Well, we'll get to that.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Like after I think there was two years and something it like took that. A long it took a long time. And it wasn't like halfway through until they realized, like, wait, what the fuck, mm-hmm. like. Like It wasn't like when they first started investigating it, we're mm-hmm. going to get the president. They had no clue he was even involved.
0: Have we not watched all the President's Men with my I, parents yet? I have yet? never watched it. Oh, no. my God. we need. My mom likes that. Like, you know my mom likes movies. She liked that movie. I'm and... wondering
1: if Robert Redford has a wig in that movie. Probably he not. He
0: have a He has you... a wig now. Oh, of course. All well, the time. <laughs> so, poor, poor Robert Redford suffers from... Ginger syndrome, which is to say, if you're fair skinned, and especially because you were gr- coming of age and into your own, like pre sunscreen, <laughs> yeah, that's true. You're paying for it <laughs> now, true. you know. You got to be really careful if you're lacking melanin, <laughs> you, just, you just
1: literally have to stay inside for all of your <laughs> life,
0: pretty much. Like, cover up, and the beach is not your friend.
1: <laughs> Make a uh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> make like one of those uh like big uh, shipping containers just make that your house
0: <laughs> just all dark <laughs> and, no and, light and, getting and, in and
1: never leave it
0: yeah now i say that as somebody who also should not be spending much time in the sun it's just fortunate for me i don't like the beach then it's not a problem it's, generally it's
1: unfortunate mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> i won't get skin cancer that is the plus side anyway EPA, yes. Okay. Uh, So, (laughs) the EPA would come to pass strict rules on asbestos use and acceptable levels. Legislation was passed affecting asbestos use via the Toxic Substances Control Act of 1976 and the Asbestos Hazard Emergency Response Act of 1986. As a result, asbestos use quickly diminished throughout the 70s. However... I was stunned to learn that now, 51 years later, after all this, the 1970s. The 1970, 1970 stuff,
1: was, 51 was 51
0: years ago. was 51 years what, ago, yes. What the fuck? If you were born in 1970, <laughs> congratulations on your 51st birthday.
1: If you haven't already had it.
0: Yes. But did you know asbestos is not banned in the United States?
1: That's not surprising.
0: It surprised me. It surprised the heck out of me, I will say that.
1: I, I, they, what they probably wound up doing is just regulating it heavily. the amount. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Very much regulating it, yes.
1: Like, what is a safe amount of asbestos? But here's the thing.
0: It was once banned in the States. In 1989, the EPA outright banned asbestos. But that was overturned by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals two years later.
1: Yeah, why do you think they put all those federal judges where they do (sighs)
0: Legislation has been introduced several times and has never passed. Over 50... and and, uh, Did I... Do I get... Yes, I do get into it, so I'm not going to say now Anyway, over 50 other countries, including the UK, Canada, Australia, the entire European Union, has completely banned asbestos. We're the stupid fuckers over here knowing exactly how bad it is that are not banning it. Um... Uh, so Australia, which was one of the countries big in asbestos mining, by the way, I got a fair number of responses of there was a town in Australia that was basically had to be evacuated and shut down because of asbestos. Asbestos mining was big in Australia. Um, anyway,
1: uh. It'd be, it'd be fun to do another, well, not fun.
0: A a whole separate all bad thing, maybe.
1: Well, about another dead city because of it. Oh,
0: Oh, we're going to get to one. Oh. A different one for a different reason. Anyway. Wow. This is... Uh, yes, I... I deep dove on this one. Anyway, uh, they first started banning asbestos, specifically chrysidolite, which remember, I think that's mm-hmm. blue asbestos. It's like the deadliest one as far as we know. They started banning it in 1967. So they were pretty much on the front of like getting ahead of it. But anyway, and they... um they uh then they banned amosite and chrysotile in 2003. So given the fact that asbestos is not banned in the states, to no one's surprise, there are several asbestos lobbying organizations that operate within the US, including the International Chrysotile Association, the Russian Chrysotile Association, the Indian Asbestos Cement Products Manufacturers Association, the Mexican Institute of Fiber Industries, and the American Chemistry Council. To date, the only asbestos-containing products that are explicitly banned in the States are spray-on asbestos, flooring felt, roll board, commercial paper, corrugated paper, specialty paper, and any new asbestos products. All other uses are completely legal, and asbestos continues to be used in car brake pads and gaskets, roofing, and fireproof clothing, among other products.
1: Corrugated paper, by the way, is cardboard.
0: Yes, uh-huh. the, there have been. For, calls- for those who didn't know, uh, gotcha. I
1: I worked with it for a little bit. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there, a little, very briefly. Very briefly. <laughs> there have been calls to ban, disbe- ban asbestos worldwide, to no avail. It is estimated that over one million Americans are exposed to asbestos in the workplace, ev- in the workplace every year, with an estimated 125 million people still exposed worldwide. So, after the Landmark Boral case, and with more and more states adopting the strict liability doctrine, the lawsuits really began to pile up in the 70s and the 80s. One plaintiff against Johns Manville, who sued the company in the 80s, was a 40-year-old veteran boiler maker named James Cavett. He worked with asbestos his entire career, 40 fucking years. He testified that the asbestos dust where he worked was so bad, it looked like, quote, Someone dumped a barrel of flour on you, and quote, oh, except fucking asbestos. And as, and, yeah. Yes. His wife became the plaintiff upon his death. That happened multiple times. Sure. The suit would be initiated by the worker. And they, he, would, they die. would die.
1: The mm-hmm. spouse would
0: take over, yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Which kind of proves the suit, wouldn't you think?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I'm suing because, right? because I think this stuff is going to kill me.
0: Well, remember. Oh, I'm dead. Remember, asbestos exposure has a long latency period. Mm-hmm. But then, like, if you get diagnosed with mesothelioma, you're looking at two years at yeah, best in general. So, yeah, yeah. <sighs> um, so his wife was awarded eight hundred thousand dollars in compensatory damages and one and a half million in punitive damages. In the 80s, suits expanded into property liability as people and entities like school districts sought compensation for having to remove asbestos from their buildings. This was expensive. If they're like, shit, we can't expose all the kids to asbestos. We've got to fix this. That's a fucking expensive proposition, yeah. you know. Exact numbers of total asbestos lawsuits are hard to pin down, but most estimates are Put it in the high hundreds of thousands. In 1991, a social scientist at the Institute for Civil Justice testified before Congress that estimates at that time in 1991 of active asbestos cases were 31,000 federal cases and 90,000 state cases. The financial fallout for asbestos manufacturers and their insurers was massive. The loss to the United States property and casualty insurance industry is estimated to be between $100 and $130 billion. To this day, that stands as the largest insurance loss and the largest casualty catastrophe in U.S. insurance history.
1: Really? Yes. Wow.
0: And the the U.S. insurance industry is one of the titans globally. Mm -hmm. So that's... A big deal. Uh now remember that's only <laughs> property and casualty, not health, not anything else, and that it's just in the US. This is not global at all. Uh, and that's also not the manufacturer's costs, not personal consumer costs, lost wages, nothing else. This is trillions of dollars, if you had to put a number mm-hmm. on it, you know. Uh yeah. It is very likely the price tag on the entire asbestos debacle worldwide is well into the trillions of dollars. Companies and their insurers also had legal battles amongst themselves over insurance payouts. In 2004, 2004, like this shit is still going on. Traveler's insurance was ordered to pay $500 million to settle more than 600,000 legal claims against one customer, John's Manville. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Even world-renowned insurance conglomerate Lloyd's of London was almost brought down by asbestos payouts, and they were sued for fraud by investors over asbestos. So obviously for asbestos manufacturers, there was basically no hope of emerging on the other side of this unscathed. Starting in 1982, dozens of asbestos companies filed for bankruptcy, including Johns Manville. This was a calculated strategy that helped limit financial liability. So if If you hear about a company going bankrupt, it doesn't mean they necessarily go out of business, right? That's
1: that's very true. Yep.
0: So there's two... Well, there's multiple types of bankruptcy. But some companies filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy. That means they did go out of business. They liquidated all of their assets. All of the money that came from those assets were used to pay out, right? And it's just like, well, here's the money we have. We're giving it all to you, and we're done for but others, like Johns Manville, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And that allows for restructuring and to remain in business. And that helped limit their required payouts to victims. But as a condition of their restructuring, they were required to set up victims' compensation trust funds. And those funds would be used for payouts. So the idea was they had to fund these trusts and then the trusts were invested so that they could keep Mm -hmm. earning money and keep growing and be available for forever. Who knows how fucking long long it's going to take, right? At least until, like, everyone who possibly worked for them is dead. And all their cases settled, right? So... These trusts still exist because there are still thousands of deaths from asbestos each year. So estimates of the number vary widely. The smallest number I saw of annual asbestos deaths in the U.S. alone was about 2,500. The largest was around 12,000. That means... I know. That means up to 1,000 people a month.
1: Yeah, that's fucking nuts.
0: It's it's wild. That's over 30 people a day. Mm -hmm. It's more than one death an hour. From asbestos. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. Um, uh, So dozens of trusts hold more than $30 billion in assets today to account for the ongoing payments to victims and their families as their latency period runs out and they get the bad news of their generally fatal diagnoses. These trusts are not foolproof. For one thing, the payments are variable because the point is to try and keep the fund going. So, payouts in some years may be lower than in others. So, victims are compensated differently, even for similar outcomes. Payments have varied from low thousands to several million sure. per claim. In some cases, the trusts have had to just stop payments altogether to stay solvent. That happened to the Johns Manville Trust a couple of times. Their trust started out at $2.5 billion and has paid out $5 billion in the past 30 years. Earlier claimants also had access to larger payments than subsequent claimants because payments had to be reduced once they realized how long they were going to have to be paying out. Sure. So the actuaries had to like redo all their calculations. To play out the rest of the John's Manville story, it was bought by Berkshire Hathaway, Mm. owned by one Warren Buffett in 2001, and still makes insulation and construction material to this day, just not containing asbestos. Uh, Asbestos caused problems for non-asbestos products, too through contamination remember we talked about talcum powder mm-hmm. and baby powder notoriously tainted with asbestos um, because talcum deposits are frequently contaminated by asbestos they coexist often in mining for that reason there have been links found to certain uses of talcum powder and cancer kind of like very specific like if you use talcum powder like on your private parts you may get cancer of your private parts kind of thing
1: <laughs> just a heads up uh, yeah
0: yeah <laughs> Um, another contamination case I mentioned bef- I think I mentioned it last week, is vermiculite. So vermiculite is a mineral that can be exfoliated or popped like popcorn. Kind of weird, but it can be popped at high temperatures and is therefore popular to use in multiple products, including popcorn sealing, Ah. and insulation along with yeah, polystyrene really see
1: popcorn ceiling in anymore. older
0: homes. And but if that's you really, have, that's it. But here's the thing. If you have a fucking popcorn ceiling, yeah, get rid of it. Well, no, do not go taking it down yourself. No. willy nilly. That shit could contain asbestos. So, um, so even after asbestos regulation, including that they banned spray on items containing asbestos, like popcorn ceiling like that's how they did popcorn ceiling sprayed it
1: i've actually taken down a couple myself so i was probably
0: <laughs> probably, probably <laughs> for all you know yeah um
1: i wouldn't recommend doing it just because it's oh it's a fucking pain in pain the pain ass, ass. <laughs> it literally takes all fucking day
0: before i you know before i got this uh townhouse i had put an offer on the other one this, uh, and it had, the, it the popcorn. had popcorn ceilings yeah. And I was planning on taking them down myself yeah, I nah. could have exposed myself to asbestos
1: Trust me, after about an hour and you've been like I'm going to call somebody mm. <laughs>
0: So, But
1: I was the somebody At, that yeah. point. <laughs> at one point
0: <laughs> So even after asbestos Regulation came into play Companies were allowed to use up Old inventory to avoid Economic hardship So go ahead, keep poisoning people Because it's a hardship to you That boggles my fucking mind. So it is possible for popcorn sealing applied well into the 80s to have contained asbestos. Sure. I'm glad our unit did not contain Mm -mm. popcorn when we moved in. So most of the vermiculite sold in the States came from a single mine in Libby, Montana, after killing at least... 400 residents because of asbestos, the Libby vermiculite mine closed in 1990, eventually becoming an EPA Superfund site in 1999.
1: And we've been through what that <sighs> is.
0: Yes. Alright. So the aftermath. <laughs>
1: we're, we're, we're
0: rounding the bases here.
1: The crescendo.
0: Uh... The, uh... <laughs> that was not a joke. I am... It's tickling my throat. Anyway. As I mentioned... There's no definitive death toll on asbestos exposure. It does still kill. It's it's impossible. It does still kill thousands of people each year. The world over estimates I saw were somewhere in the 100,000 to 250,000 people. Every year. Annually.
1: Holy shit.
0: So there's, it's millions. It's gotta be millions just by using those numbers. Low estimate. On the low end. Low estimate 100,000 people a year. Past 10, 10 years, a million people. And that was before we, that was after we knew yeah, about it, right? The, that's usually so, the
1: uh, conservative figure. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, the baseline is a million people dead in the last 10 years.
0: So it's it could be tens of millions. Yeah, for we all we know. know. We have no idea. And the other sure. thing, too,
1: which, I mean, you cannot figure in is it could have simply just taken 20 years out of somebody.
0: Yes. Like
1: they died when they were 60 yes. when they could have died when they were 80.
0: Or caused complications yeah. that were unique to their body. Or, yeah. yeah. Yep. You're absolutely I mean, right. You, you're absolutely that's, right. And that's shit
1: you just can't calculate.
0: Yep. Weakens somebody's heart somehow, yeah. mm-hmm. you know? And and so the guy who dropped instead of a heart attack when he's 60, you yeah. know? Yeah. You never it's remember? like, oh,
1: he was fine. He was like the best looking 60 and then fucking dead. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. While in many countries, asbestos has been banned or highly regulated, that is not the case the world over. Asbestos has not been banned worldwide, let alone in individual countries. In fact, when other countries banned or regulated asbestos, that didn't shut down asbestos production. It just moved it to other countries. Um, When it started being cracked down on in the U.S., it went to Mexico, for example. I was just going to say,
1: either that or... uh, yeah.
0: Russia remains the world's top asbestos producer, mining around one million metric tons annually.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, there's nothing else to do. China,
0: China, Brazil, and Kazakhstan are also top producers. India, China, Vietnam, and Indonesia are high consumers.
1: See, that's what I was gonna say. Like, other mm-hmm. than if, if other than moving it to Mexico, mm-hmm. I'm like, we probably moved it to China too. Yeah.
0: Well, yes. Um uh there doesn't seem to be much momentum in any of these countries or many others to move towards any sort of asbestos ban or further regulatory control. And annual consumption of asbestos remains at an estimated two million tons. Holy fuck. Today. Like now this Annually. is going on. Yeah. Even <laughs> though we know what we know. <laughs> That's why it's killing as many people. And it will continue to. Sure. Probably. Wow. Until climate change kills us all. Yeah. Despite <laughs> look, largely Look on
1: the bright side, everyone.
0: Always look on the, the bright side, side of, of life. The life of Brian. That's right. Monty Python.
1: But it's from something else as well. I don't know.
0: <laughs> Despite largely falling out of use in any widespread capacity after the seventies, asbestos doesn't disappear. This is literally Almost indestructible as a mineral, right? That was one of its selling points.
1: (laughs) It's an apex mineral.
0: Yeah, kind of. It is extremely difficult and complicated to destroy asbestos. It can technically be destroyed, but it's a whole thing. But given its ubiquity, it's not at all practical to eradicate. We can't just get rid of asbestos. Even no, just how, in, in, could, how
1: could you? It's everywhere. It's just, it's, <laughs> yeah. it
0: really is everywhere.
1: It's just, it's just avoided as much as mm-hmm. possible. Yeah. Like that's the best you so can do. So, for people
0: living and working in buildings built before most asbestos containing materials were banned or regulated, which is a lot of us who are living or working in these buildings, asbestos can still very much be a concern especially when remodeling, demolishing, or aging come into play. Sure. In most countries where asbestos is currently banned or highly regulated, that generally means buildings built before 1990, but especially before 1980, are at a high risk of containing asbestos. Insulation sealed in walls or isolated in attics are generally not a major health risk. But open asbestos sources like pipe insulation or air ducts can be a lot more problematic. So it is recommended that if you suspect that your home may contain asbestos, you should have a professional come and take samples of it and ha- and test it to confirm mm-hmm. whether it contains asbestos or not. The, this fi- is- the
1: fire department might even do it.
0: Well, the problem I don't I'm not I didn't see that okay. because it's kind of costly. It costs a few hundred dollars to get asbestos testing done. Right, okay. So it's not free. It is it can be cost prohibitive, which isn't great. But um, if you need to get asbestos testing and you can't afford it, let us know. We will, <laughs> we'll help. You. We'll figure out how to help you out there. Because nobody should have to live with something deadly in their house. But anyway,
1: we'll call it Asbesting.
0: Asbesting. <laughs> So the same goes if you're planning construction or remodeling of an older building. Sure. Or if you see any material you think could contain you asbestos. You know what? Like
1: the the house we were thinking of buying. Like that, Oh my that's, God. I didn't even think of that That's something we would have had to deal with.
0: No. The construction guys would have had to deal with. Well,
1: and we would have too. Holy
0: shit. I didn't even think of that. We were looking at a... When was it built in the 60s? 60s.
1: Oh, that Like thing. 61, I think.
0: Shit, we were walking around in it. Yes, we could we were. have gotten exposed to it. Oh God!
1: Probably did because it how, was it was in bad shape. Half the roof was missing. Oh my
0: God! Mm. So, but, but
1: yeah, we, we came very close to buying like what would have been a dream home. But it would have been pretty cool. But we did the smart thing and realized that this is just going to be a money pit. And
0: we can either spend all our money on our house or not, or not. <laughs> yeah,
1: we can have the house that we have, and. Yeah. Spend our money on us. I
0: don't know if you've seen it, but there's a <laughs> builder's advertising sign on the road by that house. Somebody's oh, okay. doing something to it. Hopefully very carefully. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I'll
1: be interested to see what, what, I uh, know. Same, what it looks
0: like. Same. Uh, so companies specializing in asbestos abatement can help deal with all of these situations safely. In fact, <laughs> I put on, you know, our episode on Instagram or whatever, in the, our last episode, and I did hashtag asbestos and an asbestos abatement company liked it. <laughs> I thought that was <laughs> hilarious. Anyway. Um so the thing is if you are hiring an asbestos abatement company, just make sure they are licensed by the EPA. That is an actual requirement of proper asbestos uh, abatement companies. And asbestos is not a DIY situation. Just letting you know. Mm-hmm. Though building materials are the most common sources of exposure for most, most people, remember that asbestos was and still is in some places used in consumer goods as well. For example, if you're a classic car buff and you're working on brakes on your classic car, you may be exposing yourself to asbestos dust. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, also, remember I mentioned if you collect like old war memorabilia, there could be fucking asbestos in that too. While the reality of living in an asbestos-filled world can be scary, it is important to note that in general, home and consumer good exposure to asbestos is not as common to cause asbestos-related incident illnesses as direct constant exposure, in other words, like in a workplace, right? However, it is still possible to be harmed by it, so always take precautions, And that, my friends, is the ongoing and likely never-ending story
1: of asbestos. Certainly never-ending. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's in too much stuff. It's... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. There's too much of it.
0: Not only is there too much of it, but it's still being used. Of course. If it were banned worldwide, then, like, say, 200 years from now, except for, like, historical buildings... Yeah. Maybe we could eradicate it.
1: Or even if it were banned worldwide, it'd probably become like a black market thing. Right. Like, like you know, it's it's just Yeah. It's such a fascinating mineral, but at the same time, like it's just
0: Well because it, in,
1: it, in certain doses it's lethal to human beings. Well, in
0: certain ways, right. Yeah. Certain properties about it. If it weren't so friable, in other words, if it didn't give off the dust that mm-hmm. it does It may not be so dangerous. It it is like a too good to be true situation. Because it's like, oh, it's like cloth and it's durable and it's fireproof. It's
1: like cocaine. (laughs) Worse for for everything. Oh
0: my God. Somebody (laughs) mentioned on our Facebook discussion group that if they had played a um, drinking game every time you said cocaine in the last episode, (laughs) they would have been like hammered. (laughs) You said it like 20 times. (laughs)
1: Oh, you just
0: keep you just keep likening it to cocaine
1: that's because cocaine was a wonder drug a hundred years ago
0: <laughs> well, oh well I, I gotcha yeah like they put it in coca-cola yeah mm.
1: and this is a wonder <sighs> mineral like yeah we,
0: the and it literally mineral.
1: It literally did do everything include
0: killing people killing
1: human beings
0: millions of yeah. humans yes
1: it was maybe like it was maybe like god's out plan <laughs> like I'm, I'm just going to put the stuff... Once they
0: discover it. I'm just going
1: to put it everywhere.
0: Once they <laughs> once they discover it, it is out of my hands. It's going to
1: take some time, but to me, it, it'll mm-hmm. happen like that.
0: That's right. <laughs> That's right. It is but a day to God. Yep, so that was the asbestos.
1: Yeah. That's... <sighs> Again... Fucked up, isn't it? I still think of it as like a... Uh... Just like a floating pathogen. Like it's like just, a spore, it, yeah. yeah it's that's, that's that's yeah. just what it sounds like. Asbestos.
0: I just I just use in insulation. I, I've always equated it to insulation, but do you remember like I don't know, maybe my parents just went to home improvement stores a lot as a kid with me because I remember a lot of home improvement stores growing up. I don't know why. But I remember these big um displays for the pink panther insulation oh sure yeah yeah now that was in the 90s that would have been post like there wasn't asbestos in that the fiberglass was a big replacer Mm -hmm. of asbestos because they had to come up with something else right so they came out with poly whatever whatever's and fiberglass was a big one too for insulation
1: yeah that's what we had in our house (laughs) Fiberglass. I'll
0: tell you what, though, up in our attic, we have a bunch of like
1: <laughs> yeah, there's probably
0: insulation that the 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 puffy insulation, you know like there's the shredded insulation. There's probably
1: copper up there too, for God, all we know. <laughs> Mercury. We're gonna. Uh... But anyway,
0: mm. enjoy. Don't inhale too deeply.
1: Exactly. And there's mm. like, how are you gonna worry about asbestos? It's just it's just kind of everywhere. So just.
0: Well, and like Carry I said, in, in general, like, like be aware of your workplace, mm-hmm. but in general, if you're in a, a Western country, you're probably not dealing with that, or at least in like
1: <laughs> You're in a better situation. Highly developed
0: countries, yeah. you know. Um, it's still not banned here in the States. Why the fuck not? Um, <laughs> well, we know because the Lobbyists. our government isn't even capable of funding itself. Apparently, without much ado, we may be shut down by the time this
1: we might be this
0: episode comes out.
1: I'm saying it's kind. Of, I'm saying it's likely.
0: Well, no, actually, I think they're they're mm-hmm. going to pass one of those stupid stop gaps.
1: Okay, good.
0: They do that all the time.
1: Sure. And that was all Politics Corner.
0: We've done many corners.
1: <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> and now we will wrap up all the corners that we that. that we've involved ourselves in tonight. <laughs> So that was the second episode Mm -hmm. of Asbestos, a crazy mineral. Uh, Again, the cocaine. Deadly mineral. The cocaine of minerals.
0: (laughs) And and yet, cocaine cowboys sounds better than asbestos cowboys. It does.
1: Yeah, it does. It has a better ring to it. Alliteration. Yes. It's it's always better. (laughs) So this has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. And we'll see you next week.